Getting the early numbers could be the key to success when betting on the NFL. That's why we're here to react to the pinnacle openers and analyse where the market might move. Welcome to the opening line. Hello and welcome to the opening line as we prepare for the wildcard round of the NFL playoffs. We today is Andy Molitor, Eric Eager and Rufus Peabody and we're going to be running through the early notes this weekend's game. Uh, it's been a while guys, how are you? All good? Yeah. Yeah, Made things, the things good. Yeah. Uh, interesting week 17 for sure. Yeah, I think um, yeah. instead of instead of going back to, to week 17, I think what we can maybe do is start off with like a, a kind of look back at the, the regular season as a whole. I know kind of week to week we've, we've taken a snapshot of, of how things have gone the week before, but I'll leave it open to you and it can be sort of individuals. It can be teams. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to be specifically betting related. It's, it's kind of your choice. Um, Rufus, I'll start with you. What was your kind of key takeaway over the 17 weeks of the regular season? Um, so there's a few really bad teams, clearly. Um, Jacksonville, the Jets. Um, although they're, I still, I still think they're not that that bad. <laughs> I'm gonna die on that hill. You can't get them in anymore. But, but there has been so much parity in terms of actual performance at the top. You know, if if, if I look at my numbers without priors, um, without priors, I would make Kansas City the sixth best team. Um, if I didn't know, you know, anything about Mahomes coming into the season and all that, like, like clearly Kansas City is, I think, the best team and, and the most talented team, probably. I mean, um, but, but there's, you know, Green Bay, New Orleans, Buffalo, Seattle, Baltimore have all played exceptionally well, um, or I should say, they've all sort of, they're the, I guess, in that sort of first strata based on on the field performance this season, and, and they're really um, the difference between those teams in terms of uh, on-field performance this year is only two points. So um, I think it really is more wide open or it feels more wide open um, in both conferences than most years. And, and what about yourself? The yeah, season has I mean, been as a whole and any sort of real learning. Yeah. The, the wide open comment makes sense too, especially with the, I mean, it, 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 you do take your priors out and get that out of your head. Yes, Kansas City, what they did, if you forget about the three playoff games and just how that offense can turn on and mm-hmm. just fire on it and just ruin a team's day by, you know, coming back and scoring a 28-point quarter. If you take all the priors out and just, like, look at raw data, it's super, like, it's super bunched up in, like, the, the top six and maybe even seven teams in the playoffs right now. You know, obviously – you have to know Kansas city, what they're capable of. And it's, it's one of those interesting things, like uh, a big, uh, a big talking point has been Baltimore. Like, Oh, is Baltimore really good because they've played like five terrible teams in a row and they've just beaten the tar out of these terrible teams. And it's kind of almost the opposite of that is like, is Kansas city just not trying? You know, they're not covering any games. They're winning, but they're not covering. It seems like they're more than comfortable just kind of coasting. So it, it, I think it could be, you know, we could in two weeks we could be in a whole different scenario here when it's like, oh my God, Kansas City turned on the Jets for the playoffs, and you know their number gets flipped just hard. So it, it'll be interesting season as a whole, though. The totals were up three points. I mean, we talked about it early, 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 and I think the average total was forty eight this year. And I, I want to say last year I had it somewhere it was like forty five point something. So scoring's up. That should be fun. 
Yeah, I mean, the Baltimore Ravens are a great case in what priors mean, right? Because to me, I think even if if you throw out the last five games, let's say you would have put them in the playoffs at six and five, I we would have all been saying, okay, priors matter, and they're actually a dangerous team still. Um, and then, obviously, you have the last five games of data, which we'll argue over the the validity of, right? But you know they're they're an interesting team. I think they're the most probably dangerous wild card team, save maybe Tampa Bay. Um, and I think a lot of that dangerousness is not necessarily what they've done since they got their players back, but more our opinion of them going into the season. Obviously, adjusted for some of the fundamental things like issues with their offensive line and, and Lamar's accuracy. But um, that that one's an interesting one. Kansas City. I, I think the ending record of all the so they they were eight zero on the road. They're five non-divisional road teams that they face for Miami, Buffalo, Baltimore, New Orleans, and Tampa. And those teams had a combined like 87 and 23 record or something like that. So, you know, the interest, again, we were so drawn to endpoints and the fact that they were like 07 and one against the spread the last, you know, eight or nine weeks of the year. But, you know, a lot of that was because the, you know, the Tampa Bay and Saints game, they dominated the whole game and then they ended up getting backdoored. Right. And like, to me, they're just a really interesting case of how much do you weigh your prior versus how much do you, um, you know, weigh, you know, the most recent information, how much are they really trying? And then uh, also sort of like, you know, something like as silly as like how much, you know, their, their record against the number, which is, you know, somewhat arbitrary. Yeah. They, I mean, well, they, they, let's say they, they covered against Tampa and new Orleans, essentially like they were just, they were, touchdowns that were too late to do anything to get inside Miami. Miami. They covered that number. Miami kicked a field goal to to cover the spread late. Well, Eric, I mean, didn't you mention, you mentioned earlier this year that, that Andy Reid has typically um, gone with more vanilla play calling, you know, against the, the worst teams. And I actually looked at this last week. I was really interested to see if there were any sort of coaching random effects in terms of interactions between um, a coach and how well they do or in their performance um, as a function of how good their opponent is. And so I, I did it using Massey Peabody game grades over the past 20 years. And I actually found there were some significant effects there. It's not saying that this coach is like really good against good teams and really bad against bad teams. It's just relative to how good they are overall. Um, and Andy Reid was number two in terms of like, and so this is going back to his Philadelphia days too, number two in terms of um, playing the best against the best teams. Um, yeah. And can you guess who number one was? Belichick. Belichick. I was like, yeah. and number three, number three is Doug Peterson, which really. kind of surprised me, but I'm like, well, Andy Reid disciple, like this kind of, um, yeah, the, the top five rounding it out was like Doug Marone at four and I think Brian Billick at five. But interestingly, on the other extreme, like, and I'm sure we'll get to, we'll get to this team um, pretty soon. But uh, Bruce Arians is is the worst in terms of um, or best against bad teams. But I thought about this because John Harbaugh also is inside the top five there in terms of coaches um, who play better against bad teams. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the Harbaugh one checks out, doesn't it? Because they they do seem to want to make a point against bad teams. You think about not only their performances in week one over the past three years, but also the the closing line value that they, well, at least in 18 and 17, right? Where like the, the closing line value was like immense, right? People bet into Baltimore in week one, moving the number like three, four points. And then Baltimore ends up winning by 40 in both cases. Um, whereas, you know, they have struggled in the playoffs, you know, and, and I, 
you know that that's interesting uh, that you say that. I I, I didn't even look at that. I was li- literally just looking at how you know basically predictable in you know the way that I measure it that Andy Reid is against bad teams and against good teams. And you think this season they're probably getting everybody's best performance, being the you know the defending Super Bowl champ. Um, you you wonder you know they're going to get everybody's best performance in the playoffs regardless. So I think if you take that you know sort of out of there, they might be maybe a little. I wouldn't say they're undervalued in the betting markets, but they're probably undervalued in the mind of this sort of uh, punditry. And then I mean, just on the Kansas City thing, what what do you think people are kind of expecting? Then is it they're they're sat in kind of third fourth gear and they can take it up a notch? Is there some playbook that that hasn't been owned by Andy Reid yet like what is the the logic behind it because they're clearly not just not trying to to kind of not cover the spread or whatever it might be so so how do they improve and get to the level that that people think they are at necessity yeah yeah they'll have to be forced into it by putting in and and like Eric mentioned the teams that they played I mean these are three teams that are, I mean, just three teams that are all kind of in the eight to 12 range to win the Super Bowl in Tampa, Baltimore, and New Orleans. They, they handled business. I mean, they, and Buffalo too. And, and Buffalo. Yeah. I mean, they, they really did handle business against good teams. There's just, there's so much hand wringing in the betting community because they can't cover for anyone. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's silly. It's like, no, I mean, they were the better team in the field. They played great. Um, and it does have a feeling Drew and I argued a little bit about this because he was very upset about the backdoor in the Saints game. And, you know, I said, well, doesn't it feel like this malaise that comes over a team after they win a Super Bowl? Like there was a high expectations, you know, 18 was fun. 19, they got it done with all those comebacks. And now, now it's just like, it feels like the Lakers where it's just, or, or the Warriors back in the days where it's like, all right, we just let's get through these 80 games, get back to the playoffs and win. And Drew said, well, that's very dangerous because in the NBA, you got seven game series and here, you know, it's one and done. And, it's, and that's fair. But I just, I just over a, over the course of 60 minutes, they're a better team on the field. Yeah. These are all, I mean, all of these are narratives, right? And I don't know if they're, yeah. they're they, they do anything to, to predict anything, but I will say people are always concerned about, okay, what if they come out flat in the playoffs and all that? And I'm like, how much more flat can you get than being down 24, nothing to Houston, 17, seven to Tennessee. And then eventually, uh, you know, they didn't come out flat against, but they, they went three and out in all three of their initial drives in last year's playoffs. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm not saying again, like, Assuming the the Chiefs, there's nothing fundamental. They're, assuming everything with them is fundamentally okay, the motivational aspect I think is way overfitting what's happened over the last half of the season. Because you know, if if motivation were a deal, all Andy Reid has to do is go and look at how difficult their playoff stretch was in terms of coming back from behind, and what was the point? The point was coming out of the gate slow. And I think that's what people were worried about with them resting their starters last week. Um, people worried about, you know, obviously their, their record against the spread over the second half of the year. I think those, to me, if you're going to bet against Kansas City in the playoffs, it has to be over something fundamental, like their defense isn't good enough or Mahomes is regressed. Both of those things could be true, um, but, you know, I, I don't think the reason to bet against them is any sort of motivational thing or their lack of an end. Well, I think it's, I mean, you mentioned the word narrative. Eric. There's been quite a few things, I think, this season where, in terms of data there's there's been an edge to be found i mean we've we've talked to i know andy mentioned sort of the points totals we've talked about home advantage without any fans a lot of talk around sort of more analytic minded coaches and obviously the whole 
injury lists, COVID lists, and, and kind of getting ahead of the game in that one. Um, we're at the point where a lot of people are saying, oh, they're, they're not getting as much down. They're not betting as much because the markets are now as efficient as they will be throughout the season. Is that is that something moving into the playoffs for, for someone like yourself, Rufus? Is, is that something that you're wary of? What's sort of like a a normal playoffs like for you in terms of action compared to the regular season? Well, there's fewer games. So yeah, there, there's definitely less action and, and the lines are generally pretty, pretty efficient. So um, I'll find stuff, sometimes something a little bit off market or something early, early in the week to bet, but it's um, definitely not, not as much as in the regular season. How about you, Andy? Yeah. I mean, the lines are tight. The, the closer is, like 49 percent you know it's it's right in there it's the closing line on the sides are very tight there's some signal to some some unders in the wild card round but we found but again it's hard to tell if any of this is signal just there's so few games somebody was asking me to run some queries for them and i said i mean i can run that but it's gonna be like 12 games over the course of so many years like it's you're you might not find much in there so it's fewer games but interestingly enough I made a bet in all four wildcard games last season. And I traditionally, I make about a hundred bets a season in the NFL. So it's, it just, sometimes it happens. Sometimes it doesn't uh, have some bets this year because there's there's two extra games. Are you more likely to place a bet on a smaller edge in the playoffs? Just because, you know, you want to, you want to have a little bit on it when you're watching the game. I try not to, but I I think I probably did with uh, the one that I, the one that lost last year was, I, I believe it was Seattle, where I think I got I got beat by the hook. I feel like I had a push in there somewhere too, but it, the playoffs haven't gone bad for me traditionally. So hopefully, hopefully that's more of a case of actually finding some edges and just not the fact that it's a sample size of like fourteen games ever. What the non-seasonality of it too is really tricky to go along with the sample size, right? Like this year. There, there's not only a lack of home field advantage, you know, for example, Washington, uh, Rufus's favorite team made the playoffs this year, which is kind of cool. Um, Seattle, no home field advantage as well. But then Buffalo is going to have, you know, 7,000 fans or so. Um, Tennessee, I Crazy believe. Crazy fans. Well, and, and the weather in Buffalo is, I mean, is generally yep. a big advantage at this time of year yep. in Green Bay. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then another one is New Orleans, where I think, you know, uh, it depends upon how you measure these things. There was Michael Lopez just wrote a really cool paper about uh, how soccer, you know, different leagues were affected home field advantage for, with, with respect to COVID. And like, you know, depending upon who you trust, like, or, or how you do the experiment, like New Orleans has a better home field advantage than some. Um, and do, and they're not going to have any, like, does that, does their reduction, like does, does their reduction, is that more in the playoffs? Is it le- less in the playoffs? I mean, does it matter because Chicago is terrible? Like I, you know, like th- those are really good questions to ask. Or you know, I, I I do also think of like how do you how do you do the Pittsburgh Cleveland game? Like we've literally never had a playoff game before where the head coach <laughs> isn't able to coach uh, and the special teams coordinator uh, Mike Prefer is the head coach in a game. Like have we we've never had that before. And, and so how do you how do you handicap that? Do you go back to to other games where a coach has been replaced because usually when a coach is replaced it's because that team was bad already um or there's you know ex you know really weird situations um this is the weirdest uh, of them and so how do you do you just stay away from that game entirely or is there an edge to have 
Yeah, not not only that, but a play. I mean, a play caller. Yeah. I mean, he he is he called the plays. I, I honestly I can't tell you what the offensive coordinator's name is in most teams. Van Pelt, there it is. Like the the ones where the offensive coordinator doesn't call plays, it's just like I don't I don't usually know these right. guys because they're but and it's funny that Prefer came up. I had to look him up. Eric will remember this. Yeah. Prefer was a he had a bit of a a mix up with the Vikings punter a few years ago, and I think he ended up losing his job over some some slurs or something. So I yeah, hadn't he heard that name in quite a while. Yeah, he got yeah. and that's that's an added fragility that we've never had to deal with. Like, it, so, like for example, I said this on uh, Wart Moneyball last week. I said if Andy Reid wakes up and gets to the stadium, that's half the battle for the Chiefs, right? Um, because he calls the other half the host. Like Cleveland, <laughs> when you lose your head coach and he's also the play caller, that's two coaches and one, right? In in many ways, and that's you know. Um, we, we just, it's a difficult thing to, I like the number is now six. It was what, four and a half, three and a half early on the open. Like, is that enough? I feel like just, you know, intuitively that seems like too many, but who knows? Yeah. It was Van Pelt, Alex Van Pelt. Was he, um, a Bill's quarterback? Am I remembering that right? That's right. Yep. You're right. He was, the one, he was the one pre, uh, he was the one that they started him for like eight games and then, uh, they traded for Drew Bledsoe. And then, so he became Bledsoe's backup. So uh, in terms of home field advantage, uh, I thought it was a really interesting um, point you made, Eric, um, about how it's going to vary um, by team some and, and with the fans. But but I was in preparation for the Calcutta we did last week. I was I actually was doing some market ratings to try to get a sense of, you know, using regression essentially to try to like based on market line to sort of get a sense of where the market had teams. Um, and one interesting thing I noticed was how home field advantage in the market changed. So this is controlling for the team and opponent. Uh, at the beginning of the season, the implied home field advantage was about 1.8 points, a little higher. It's down to less than a half a point now in the last few yeah. weeks. So basically the market thinks home field advantage is almost non-existent. And I hadn't actually revisited home field advantage throughout the season. I'd gone like 80 to 85%. And I, that's caused me to revisit because I'm, um, you know, the market is pretty smart and who am I to like, do I have any better information? No, not necessarily. So I'm, I, I'm still going a little more than the market, but, but yeah. And, and I'm also taking it a little bit more on a case by case basis. Like Kansas city does have fans in the stands, like enough to, that we might get some ref bias. Like, I don't know what the tipping point there is, but, um, it's certainly interesting. Yeah, the, the Lopez paper uh, found. Don't adjust too hard now that, like what Eric said, it, it may bounce back, especially in certain stadiums here. Right. I mean, like I'm giving Green Bay like full home field advantage, basically, despite not having fans, just largely because of the weather and the fact that, well, Green Bay is also a place that's a little, I mean, you're not in a major city exactly. It's, it's, I mean, it's I, I, Appleton. The teams, yeah. Play, yeah, the teams, the teams actually stay an hour away in Appleton. And so there's weird travel things there. I mean, it's interesting, right? Like you guys remember when Minnesota played in Green Bay early in the year and the and the weather in Green Bay actually forced the betting market. Like the betting markets bet into Minnesota once that weather became advantageous for a running game, right? Because that was sort of played into Minnesota's thing. So absent fans, uh, you know, Green Bay's home field advantage actually diminished a little bit. But that that's it's such an interesting question because like even then at the you know the actual home field advantage has been about five one hundredths of a point this year um, and and the betting markets are still giving ten times that you know so there there's still some respect being given to it on average 
Um, but you know, I think a case by case basis is huge, right? Like, uh, you know, there, I've done some research basically looking at, you know, what percentage of fans, um, are actually rooting for that particular team. And there's some, you know, proprietary data and stuff like that. Like, and that's what makes new Orleans a decent home field advantage. That's what makes Seattle a team like Washington, when they go to Carolina with a lot of, you know, prior to the Panthers being, uh, a team in the NFL, most people in the Carolinas were Washington fans. So like that game very little home field advantage because a lot of the people there were Washington fans. So they're, but like those things go away now. Right. <laughs> and so it's, it's a real, or now in Buffalo, like how many of those people actually going to Buffalo are going to be Colts fans this weekend? Probably not, you know? So there, there's a ton of interesting things there. I think you, I think we all have to have a, a good degree of humility on it though. It's yeah. there's a lot we don't know. And, and um, yeah, but well, I, especially, I think- the, especially the Cleveland game, it's, it, Almost impossible to quantify what the coaches mean. Yeah. Get rid of the word almost. <laughs> um, there's there's also going to be a lot, as we get into to playoffs, there's going to be these kind of narratives about like certain teams or certain players, like Lamar can't handle it. I think Big Ben hasn't got the, the greatest of records. Not playoff specific. There's something about Tom Brady the other day needing to get to bed early and playing at half eight at night. Um Andy, in your in your kind of time betting, I guess maybe give a, a word of warning to people that are tuning in about sort of the danger of narratives and and what what they don't mean, what they do mean, and and how they can be dangerous for betters. Not only, I mean, there's two things working against people that are going to hear those: the fact that there's fewer games, so they get amplified. You know that we hear these narratives all week and all year through the media, but you know there's. 13, 14, 15, 16 games every week. So sometimes they do get lost in noise, but the, there's there's some of these narratives that really, really get pushed hard this week because of, you know, because of how few games there are and how much the media is going to cover the playoffs and just how much more some of this, uh, you know, the, the rise of gambling across the U.S. as opposed yeah. to just how many more media outlets are, are putting, you know, putting gambling content into their sports and they're going to, bring up some trends and they're going to bring out some, you know, this, this team is this bad. And, you know, we used to see this all the time with certain quarterbacks where they'd say, this is their record in games that are under 37 degrees and whatever. And, you know, there is some signal and some of that stuff, but it is really going to get shoved down some people's throats this year. And, you know, just kind of watch out for that and actually maybe do some research and see if if there's some deeper context in some of those games. You can say like, oh, this this team is horrible in cold weather. And then you go look and be like, well, every time they played in cold weather over this this section of time they used, it was like, man, they were playing like the, you know, the Steelers at their peak. They were playing in Foxborough. They played Rodgers at his peak. Like they always just ended up playing these good Northern teams at the end of the year. Like maybe there's not so much signal. Maybe they just did poorly against some really good teams that happened to play in the cold. Well, I always, I always thought about this when, you know, because Kansas City went from 1993 until 2015 without winning a playoff game. And, you know, it was like, well, are the Chiefs cursed? And all of a sudden, I'm like, look at all the games. They had the, they had the worst quarterback in every single game, except for the the one game they won in 2015 where Alex Smith was playing Brian Hoyer. Like, it, it sometimes it's a little simpler than – or sometimes the answer is actually fairly fundamental and, and not, you know, not something galaxy brain. Well, now we're going to have a narrative that says always bet on the better quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, I think that, that is 
I think the thing you need to watch out for is the arbitrary endpoints. When when people give you trends and stuff and they say, oh, the last 17 games, something, something, or like 37 degrees, like, you know, this this is his quarterback's record under 37 degrees. Well, he obviously, if it's bad, I'm guessing he won in a game that was 38 degrees. Um, I think that people are pushing a narrative because it's, you know, if, if you're trying to justify a pick or create content, if, you know, you need something to say. And so you're going to try to find the thing that sounds the most significant. So I think think about things on a continuum. Like if this quarterback is bad in cold weather, you know, it would is it is it a discrete is cold, isn't cold or is it, you know, as it gets colder? Um, yeah. And and just in general, I, I, I feel like with these things, you know, if, if there is an effect, you you should be able to quantify it and add it into your handicapping. So for example, something like that would be like extra days rest. That's something you can quantify, you know, so next week, like green Bay is going to get a bump. Kansas city is going to get a bump for that. But, um, but just, I, I, for me, if, if I can't quantify something and I don't have, I mean, well, Cleveland, the, you know, the head coach, um, Stefanski being out, I can't quantify, but Clemson did not have the off, their offensive coordinator and play caller against Ohio state. And you saw how that worked out. So maybe, maybe that is worth a little bit more than I, I had thought, but um, but basically, if, if it is if it isn't something that sort of has a direct, um, it isn't just quantifiable, but it's it's sort of a direct impact. Then I'm going to think it's mostly speculation. Like one example was last week you had uh, you had the Washington Philadelphia game. That line you know steamed really hard towards Washington on I mean throughout the week, but mostly you know Sunday morning, and it got up to what six and a half. Um, it was at what, like one, one and a half early in the week. And yes, you heard Miles Sanders is out. Like um, a few guys were going to be rested. There was some rumors, you know, there, but, but for the most part, and this is a situation where this actually is bad advice, but for the most part, there wasn't really a, there wasn't anything concrete that I could go on. It was this speculation that Philadelphia wasn't going to get full effort. And generally, you know, for every time that, um, well, I'll put it this way. How often have you actually seen a team like, legitimately try to tank a game like in game so um you know well, I, I was wrong in this occasion um but i think overall if you if you ignore stuff that isn't that isn't really concrete um you're probably gonna be a little better off well and uh philly covered the closing number in that game anyway yeah. right? so, uh, that, that was that was the funniest thing but but we had to your point we had the exact opposite thing happen at the one o'clock hour where you know, we're doing a live show and all of a sudden there's this information that Bitcoin Barkley is going to play for uh, Buffalo. And that number went, I think that got as high as minus three in Buffalo's direction all the way to uh, three or four in Miami's direction. And that information was bad. I mean, Buffalo tried, you know, for most of the first half of the game. And, you know, like I think it was Ed Miller's book and Matthew Davido's book said, basically for a lot of these things, it has to glide. There has to be some continuity to it. If, if uh, let's say let's say the Packers have to play on Saturday next week, you know them having 13 days rest better be incrementally worse than having 14 days rest, right? There, there's not these jumps. There isn't anything special about certain numbers, um, and I think that that we have to be. And I think anytime when when we talk about trends, like you know, it, it has you have to be aware of the fact that like. There, you know, usually the, the better thing to do is just to plot it and look at one thing on one axis and the other thing on the other. But the reason people don't do that is because most of these things are noise. And so you just find the cutoff that makes it look the best. The the overfitting, like Rufus said, the the 
finding the endpoint that works the best to make a graphic for your television show, like that, that's that's a hundred percent. It's not a hundred percent of these. I went a lot of these. Yeah. It's just it's 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 overfitting to create a narrative, and and that's where if you actually plotted it out and went past that that random endpoint, not a random, it's a very unrandom endpoint, went past <laughs> the endpoint, yeah, and looked and be like, oh, it's it's just a a really small cluster and it's noise. Yeah, Andy, I remember a few years ago, actually it was probably five years ago at the beginning of the college football season, I was hearing all these trends. And so I, I decided to go through data and find some good trends myself. And I found that college football teams over 10 years, the last, the previous 10 years, college football teams whose school name started with the letter O covered at a 58% clip over like 700, you know, 600, 700 plus games. And there you go. You were the if one that you, was. You can get a private time. island with that kind of trend. That's it. If ever you could sum up the dangers of data mining, I think you've just done it, Rufus. Um, let's uh, let's get us on to some some wild card matchups. Then we'll we'll start with we've got the Colts versus the Bills. Um, the the Pinnacle traders think we're a little bit late to budge on this one. We were at um, just a seven and fifty two on the total. It's now minus six and a half on the Bills and and fifty one on the total. Um, I think we you kind of mentioned about the Chiefs for for kind of their ability to cover have been like a big talking point this season. The Bills have have had a lot of focus as well. They divided opinion early on, I think, and then we had plenty of doubters around Josh Allen that I don't think anyone can dispute that they've they've played well. They played pretty consistently consistently. Um the couple of losses at the Chiefs. Um, they had one was at the Cardinals. They lost on like the Hail Mary, but f- for the most part, they've they've kind of got it done and against some decent teams too. Um, as for Indy, I mean they've improved. Pretty easy schedule for them, I think you have to say. Um, I mean, can't rely on the run game, but it's it's probably all about how Taylor performs, isn't it? I guess. And I'm keen to see what you think about that one. How important he's going to be and. If there's anything interesting in in this matchup that makes the number sort of jump out to you, I mean, I, I took a plus seven just because it was. I mean, I, I lean towards Indy, um, but it was you know, like I make it six, so I'm not going to bet that. But the seven was it was an off market number, so I was happy to to grab that. Um, but I think this is basically as close to spot on as it as you can be. I mean. Indy has been a very fortunate team this year. They're number one in the NFL in, in turnover um, EPA. They've gained 20 points on fumbles and 24 points on interceptions. The Bills have been basically a lot more neutral. I think they've gained eight points overall. Uh, it's, you know, it's um, obviously Josh Allen's made a big jump from last year to this year, and the Bills' defense is is a little bit um, has improved later on in the season. I know they were they had some injuries they were fighting through. I'll put it this way. I don't really, it, you know, I don't trust, I don't trust Philip Rivers to, uh, to not turn the ball over in the fourth quarter of a close game. I mean, I was watching that Jaguars game. I was hoping the Jaguars won because uh, I have I had a bet on the Dolphins to win exactly 11 games for the season. So um, it like literally like 200 to one odds or something higher than that. But, but, and he, like Philip Rivers threw a, a fourth quarter interception against against the Jaguars, um, but the Jaguars couldn't do anything. So I, I think, um, yeah, uh, normal. Yeah, I think um, Buffalo. Has, yeah, Buffalo has been fantastic. They've been clearly a top team this season, um, based on this season alone for sure. And so, yeah, I basically don't have anything. I only just took seven because it was it was a great price. Well, 
Indy, Indy's from my numbers this place faced the easiest schedule this year. I think their average opponent was two points worse than than the average NFL team. So that that's certainly something to take into consideration. Uh, th- this is uh, one where I don't know it, how Buffalo's defense approaches this because against good teams, Buffalo has tended to play uh, fewer men in the box, have enticed the other team to run, and hoped they can get a stop or two in the early downs and force third downs where their coverage unit is pretty good. Um, if they do that against the Colts um, and they're successful, I think the Colts, Colts will have a miserable game because I don't think Rivers can do on third down against that team, uh, you know, what he's done against the Jacksonvilles and the and the Houstons of the world. Um, but that being said, if they're not successful and Jonathan Taylor runs all over them, um, then this could be a, a, a knockdown drag out because Indy's defense, uh, you know, their schedule notwithstanding has been pretty good. Um, and Josh Allen really hasn't faced defense. I, I know Miami was good on paper, but like most of their, their stuff was turnovers this year. Um, you know, Buffalo hasn't faced, you know, that great a defense um, in, in quite some time, given the injuries of the Steelers that they placed a couple weeks ago and then the rest of their division. So, uh, you know, this is one – I'm with Rufus. I think the number's closer to six, but um, but at six and a half, there's probably not a ton of value on Indy here. Yeah, I, uh, I make it six. I bet Buffalo anyway. I have Buffalo and I have um, Jonathan Taylor to lead the wild card round in rushing yards. What did you What did you bet Buffalo at? Six. I mean, almost, almost even money. Six and a half. Like I think it's minus one hundred two, minus one hundred one, like a cheap six and a half. So I, I, I don't love it, but I. Some of the matchups for me are just, again, you, Indian cold weather, rivers and cold weather, rivers against at least one decent corner. Rivers in a playoff game, Indy's defense not being all they're cracked up to be, especially against the pass. I essentially – I have them as a middle-of-the-pack defense. Wait, what were you telling me about narratives again? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It, it sucked, but here we are. And I, I just uh, – some of the matchups too. And I do believe Indy will be able to run the ball. But if that's all they can do, I'm not sure they can keep up with this offense. Their pass defense should be able to uh, – or uh, as far as uh, – the Bills pass offense should be able to get it done there. They just uh, – I was i was low on Josh Allen again coming into the season because, again, he was, like, improving, but we still saw the big mistakes where he wasn't getting his feet set. He was making some bad decisions. And just, if he's not going to do that, they have maybe the one of the – I don't know, Adams is right there, but maybe the best receiver in the league. And you have two other really decent receiving options. And even, even with uh, maybe their one – disparity is the offensive line at times and he's mobile and it and it's not like we've seen a good pass rush out of Indy so like Indy being able to take advantage of you know Josh Allen taking long he takes a long time to throw at times he his average time to get the ball out is high but if Indy can't take advantage of that with a bad pass rush I'm I'm not sure well but I I do think you know, Allen was second in the league behind Carson Wentz this year in number of turnover worthy plays I do think Indy plays a bend but don't break defense, there's a chance that Allen, you know, if they catch the right side of variance, I mean, this is true about every single team in the entire weekend, but if they catch the right side of variance, like, you know, Allen does Allen does cross the street a lot on the way to the end zone. And, you know, for him, like, we've, we've seen the high-end play, right? This is why Buffalo is probably the second-best team in the AFC because they, they string high-end play together. They can probably compete with Kansas City. But there there is a situation where – Indy 
plays the slow game with them, doesn't allow the big plays that, for example, Miami did last weekend, and Allen gets Allen gets tricked into throwing these turnover-worthy plays, and they actually get capitalized on, and then the, the whole complexion of the game switches. So to mm-hmm. me, that's that's where Indy, I think, is going to go. I don't think they're going to blitz him a lot. I don't think I think they're going to sit back and play coverage and hope he makes a mistake. Which this season he's been really he's been better at avoiding, but he's not. He's still like one of he's still not a unicorn as far as he makes a ton of great plays and he avoids negative ones. No, he he has his fair share of negative plays. He's just so good at the positive stuff now that we're sort of papering over it. I mean, yeah, if you anybody remember that play. Do you, do, like, do you guys remember that play against Tennessee in the wild card round last year? The end, like the the crazy pitch. Yeah, like, yeah. Pitch. I mean, <laughs> he does some. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he it takes sacks too. Like he, like he takes bad sacks, and you know, um, he runs a lot. Like those plays could turn into fumbles. I'm not look. I'm not saying they're like. I'm just saying that that if I'm Indy, I'm looking at this game like just just you know flip the timer over and hope that he. Hopefully he makes a mistake. Don't give up big plays. And that's really Indy's defense. Indy's defense is not an attacking defense. It's a sit back and play zone and and hope that a tip ball happens or something like that. And and you know, that's probably the right way to play their their deep. That's probably the right way to play Buffalo. And if um I mean you, the hype has kind of been building like all season, especially like the last what three or four games, some they put some a lot of points on the board. They're they're putting some good performances. Do we, or how are you guys sort of rating the Bills if the Kansas City Chiefs sort of necessity way of playing doesn't pan out and, and they don't make it? Do, do you see the Bills as a, as a legitimate challenger or whereabouts are they ranking for you? Oh, they're definitely a legitimate challenger. Yeah, yeah. They match yeah. up nicely here. I mean, it's especially against the worser defense. And again, it's, it's probably one that's better than it was at the beginning of the season. But the, and then who is the uh, Eric will know this. Eric always knows this. Who is the? They lost some. They lost a piece in the secondary with like a broken leg too. Um, uh, Buffalo. No, no, no. Kansas City didn't Kansas City oh, lose? Oh yeah, well, DeAndre Baker. But that yeah. they weren't going to play Baker in the playoffs. No, I mean depth guy, but it's it's not helping a bad defense. special teamers. Yeah, you yeah. don't want to be I, missing your special teamers. No. Yeah, the both of these teams are mere, like both of these teams do the same thing. They play a they don't play an attacking defense. They try to bait the other team and Buffalo and Kansas City try to bait the other team into being inefficient by running the ball. And we saw when they played on that makeshift Monday night game, Kansas City just ran it with Clyde Edwards-Lair for 245 yards, and that was kind of like I wrote this this article about interior defensive linemen. That was kind of the genesis was that if you want to play two high safeties the whole game, you at least need run defenders that will stop the run above a certain amount or else you're just going to get gashed the whole game and that whole, you know, that whole way of playing sort of goes kaput. It's a good way to reduce variance though because, uh, or yeah, it's a good way to reduce your risk on defense because you're not getting blown up by these 50-yard touchdowns. But, you know, if another team is patient enough, they can bleed you to death. And I think both of the defenses, Kansas City and um, and Buffalo and Indy all play that kind of style defense where they they play they prefer coverage and then they they trust their front seven to make tackles and sometimes it works and sometimes the other team gets you know high on running the ball all game and they can they end up being more, less efficient on offense as a result. Yeah, and like, like you said with the blitzing on Allen, like it, sometimes you see coaches. I don't know if they feel like they need to get cute or try something that, especially if they're a touchdown underdog and they know they're not supposed to win. I think if Indy does something different and said, let's come out and try to blitz more than we do. 
makes them worse. It's going to yeah. make them worse, and I'm going to watch for stuff like that this weekend as well. We'll get on to our uh, our next game. We've got LA Rams at Seattle Seahawks, and the the trades have put this one at four was four and a half four. Um, 42 and a half point toe. I think it's kind of in that handicap, certainly in that sort of middle ground. It's moving around a little bit and it, it could sort of move later towards the, the end of the week. But it looks like a, a very different matchup to the, the first half of the season. We talk about sort of the hype around the Bills. The Seahawks were obviously the, the early season stars and, and dropped away pretty dramatically, especially on offense. And then for the Rams, I mean, it's... I don't know if it depends on golf. I don't know what the news is. Kind of some are, some are saying it's a long shot. Some are saying it's it's quite likely, but it's it's a broken thumb, isn't it? At the end of the day, so I'm not sure how big of an impact he can have, even if he if he does play. But the, what have they played twice already this season? Um, yeah. One apiece, I think. Uh, four and a half points, Andy. What what do you think of that, Mark? I, I'm su- I guess I'm surprised they're leaving this up. Uh, the fact that they're leaving this up with the with the Goff uncertainty either means that th- they're pretty sure Goff doesn't play, or it doesn't matter. <laughs> like a, a hobbled a hobbled Goff hand is the same as a as a Wolford. I I think my appetite for getting involved in Seattle playoff games has probably been been filled over the past few years. Close game and again, Seattle never plays a normal game anyway, but. I mean, my my numbers aren't aren't uh, fully prepared to adjust for Wolford. I was hoping we'd see a normal game last week, and I could get a read on what the you know what the team looks like with Wolford, and then we get the, you know, all the injuries. Each each team was missing what at least one good receiver. I don't know how you rate Larry Fitzgerald at this point in his career, but then Kyler goes out, so the game the game got just wonky last week. I don't know if I have a good read on on the Rams at all. If I had to bet this game, maybe maybe the under if it keeps getting steamed up, honestly. But well, avo- avoiding narratives, that. avoiding narratives. Haven't you got a good stat on Wolford? Wolford, he yeah. hasn't ever lost a playoff game. He's like two and zero in balls. Wolford, Wolford last week was, had I was I believe second in the league in what we call big time throws, which are like, and I I know the NGS people, the guys with the. The tracking data found that he had the second highest rate of throws into tight windows, so the aggressiveness rate. Like he didn't, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't Alex Smith out there, that's for sure. Um, and so I don't know. I look, I, 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 I think Andy's second conclusion is probably right that the betting, like people just see the Rams' offense as McVay and a couple good weapons on the outside, um, a decent offensive line, and think who cares who the quarterback is? Goff's not all that good to begin with. Well, and Goff can't run the ball like Wolford can. I mean, you saw that he added an entirely new dimension to that offense. And so, I mean, yep. for me, it's this is a really hard game to handicap because normally I would go, you know, I, I have a prior for for Wolford. He's, you know, he's undrafted. He's um, making his second career start, and he's only playing because the starting quarterback's injured. Like, that right there says it's going to be a massive downgrade, basically just based on the information I have. And, you know, his numbers were pretty pedestrian last week. But, I mean, watching, I, I watched a good amount of the game um, just because I'm invested in the Rams um, and, and actually in this Calcutta as well as future stuff from earlier in the year. So, um, I, but, yeah, his numbers were pretty pedestrian. But even if they weren't, that wouldn't really swing things a lot, even if he, like, went all Jalen Hurts in his first game or something like that, just because it is one game. Um, but you're right. I mean, this is 
this isn't one size fits all, even though Massey Peabody kind of treats it like it is. Um, we know that there are nuances to it. And, and the fact is like McVeigh is, is sort of a, I mean, he's a master of scheming. And I think, and from what we've heard out of LA, like bef even before this game, it sounded like the Rams were really high on Wolford and were really excited to, to have him be playing. And, and McVeigh like just was gushing about the fact, what he could do running the ball after the game. So, I mean, I, it's, this is a situation where my numbers would say like Wolford's a massive downgrade, like Seattle has value um, versus, you know, if golf was playing, my number would be um, Seattle minus three. Uh, and so without, without golf, I'm going to be like a touchdown or higher. So I probably am going to bet some Seattle just largely to hedge because I do have a lot of Rams exposure. Um, and so, but it's again, it's, it's a, I don't know the right answer here. I, I would, I would say it's somewhere in the middle. I think, I don't think Wolford is, a, you know, is, you know, he and golf are not the same, obviously, but I don't think it's a truly five point difference either. Yeah. Well, and I, this is interesting, right? Cause I think both golf and Seattle's offense have declined over the past eight weeks. I think golf, because he's just not that good of a quarterback, and Seattle out of their own free will, yeah, right, running the football more on early downs, sort of, and and they're they were six and three and they finished six and one, so now they're getting the positive affirmation of a uh, uh you know a Seattleifying of a season that was profoundly anti Seahawks in the first six or seven weeks, and so you know secondary to what you're saying, I know you guys reduce you guys exponentially weigh weeks that were are more distant. But even uh -huh. then, like you're talking about data from two distinct football teams. And when I look at, you know, I, I have the Rams as the best defense in the entire NFL. Uh, and, and, and I think they're even better against a team that has maybe fewer weapons. Like I think Seah the Seahawks have two really good weapons and the Rams have one, you know, extremely good cornerback. Um, who shut down? Who shuts down one of the aspects of the other teams? And, and then they have a really good scheme. And, and so I wonder, you know, in the first Seattle game, uh, the LA Rams just completely shut. It was the first team to ever to shut down Russ all year, and they basically did the exact same thing in Week 16. It's just that the Rams couldn't really do anything on offense. If Wolford can give them anything, or Goff can give them anything, um, this one's going to be a close one. Am I? And so, I mean, if I, if anything, I would take LA, but there's a lot of, you know, uh, the uncertainty here is, is really clouding sort of, um, you know, my, my, my read on this. I, li I like that you say that. I, I want the Rams here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's, uh, my, my Rams number is always going to be high. And I just like the Wolford thing is scaring me away. So the Rams, the Rams offense, the Rams offense, it seems like every year under McVay has gotten worse at the end of the season. Yeah. Well, is there anything to that? It's hard. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, even, I mean, obviously the most drastic, uh, the most drastic example has been how they've played in the playoffs, right? And in 2017, they got absolutely boat raced by the Falcons at home. And then in the, in the Super Bowl in 18, they got beat up pretty heavily by the, the Patriots. And then last year, they didn't even make the playoffs. Um, I think, I think McVeigh is very good when he can go to the lab and cook something up for six months and come come you know rise up from the water and 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 you know play offense for twelve weeks or so. But once teams adjust, it's really hard. I mean, Jared Goff is averaging negative expected points when he drops back to throw now. 
Um, he has more turnover-worthy plays than what we call big-time throws. Um, but but McVay has it in him. I remember that that Monday night game at Tampa when they were what three four-point underdogs. That was one of the best schemed games on offense I've ever I've seen this year. Um, so he certainly has it in him. And um, the question becomes like against a Seattle defense that I don't think is all that imposing. Does he feel like he needs to put together a game plan to really win a football game like that? Sometimes he does, and sometimes. Frankly, he sometimes he comes out with the most vanilla things in the world. It's it's very Andy Reid like, and I don't think they obviously have the talent to be able to do that and, and win. Maybe he should like cook up this great you know novel scheme in the off season and wait and put yeah, it in yeah. later on when. <laughs> and so no no nobody's ready for it. You know it's yeah. it's like if if you had the Wildcat offense start in the playoffs or something like that. Right. Right, yeah. let's uh, let's get us on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at Washington football team. And we've had a, a move against Washington here. Um, don't know if it's Angry Giants fans or, or people that actually see value in it, but it was seven and a half. It actually touched in minus nine on Tampa Bay. I think it's at eight now. Um, and the, the total was on 45 and a half. I think we can avoid debate around everything surrounding Philly's the decision to, to play the way they did and, and deal with what we've got. We've got Washington football team. Um, it's going to be built on defense. We know that probably a, a, maybe a simple question of, of how well Brady's protected, how well he plays. And especially with a, an inform Antonio Brown to two, is it as simple as that, Eric? Is there, is there more to it? And, and what do you kind of make of a, of an eight point handicap to make up in a wild card game? Well, I think Tampa is probably going to be the most teased team in the entire weekend, right? Probably people are going to try to tease that with Buffalo, you think, in the first game? Um, yeah. Um, eights, eights a lot, but Tampa has been Tampa has been disposing of, like, kind of poor teams. You know, I know the Atlanta game was – it took them a half to sort of – to sort of get their bearings, but obviously Detroit on the road uh, in the Christmas weekend and the last week, Atlanta hung around for a while, but basically they got rid of them quick. I just don't see Washington being able to move the football enough on a Bucks defense that I think is overrated, but good enough to beat a bad team like Washington. That I mean, Alex Smith this year, only 12.3% of his passes are positively graded by us. There isn't another player on my list. Other Dwayne Haskins is is at 15.6, to put it in perspective, and no one else is below 17, and that includes guys like Nick Foles, Ben Roethlisberger, Mike Glennon. Um, Smith is avoiding negatively graded plays, but not <laughs> – they're about the same. Um, so – and every time he drops back to pass, Washington loses about a fifth of an expected point. So as much as Smith's good in the sense of not – turning the ball over, I think this game is going to require increased variance, which is why you saw, you saw Ron Rivera open up the possibility. Maybe he's just trolling Philly fans, but he or Giants fans. He opened up the possibility of playing some Taylor Heineke this week, and I think that might actually need to be the case if they're going to do anything close to winning this game. I, I, I Yeah, I think Tampa rolls here, I, but, but um, and that's basically just based upon my opinion of Smith's uh, distribution of outcomes. So the question with Smith is, is this a conscious decision? I mean, you know, it's a guy has to be so wide open to throw the ball downfield for him. Like, like his yeah. just natural instinct is to just check it down. I mean, it's, I guess I compare it to in golf, like a, a player like Jim Furyk or Steve Stricker, who, you know, hits fairways, hits greens, doesn't go for the, you know, he, he's not attacking the pins as much necessarily, but 
but then if you play like an event that's like a modified stable for format or a match play or something like that, is he going to change his stripes and be able to like adapt to that? Like, is it a conscious decision because Smith thinks that actually helps the team um, versus is it just the way he is and you can't change it? So I, I don't know the you're answer to that. You're saying he would change because it's single elimination playoffs and you're not thinking about, you know, just not losing games or what, what, are, you, what are you saying he would change? To embrace variance. I mean, sure. probably not. If he's, if, if, if he's making a conscious decision to check down um, because he thinks it's the, I don't know. But yeah, uh, it's the, he- the Heineken. It's easy. Yeah, well, Heineke, Heineken, whatever his name is, he. Um, <laughs> I, I watched. I watched the the Washington game um, where he played, and he like as a fan. This is not as an analyst um, or any sort of quantitative person. As a fan, like I thought he was. I, I enjoyed watching him. I thought he he. You know, he threw the ball downfield. He had some really good throws. He had like a bad throw or two, but it, it, you know, he seemed like agile in the pocket. Like I was like, let's let's have this guy start. I mean, it's it's a pretty low bar for Washington right now in terms of starting quarterback. So I would it's, love it's to start. Golf. And you yeah. need to like, embrace Washington. Sorry, I think it's just it's Wolford Goff maybe again, where it, maybe it doesn't make a big difference based on how little aggression we see from. Alex Smith and what little we know of Taylor Heineke and just where this offense stands versus this defense. And, you know, and maybe it is a slight advantage, like Eric said, to make this team think that they have to prepare for two quarterbacks, even if they don't. The yeah. minorest of advantages. But again, and what Eric said about, oh, sorry. And what I, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm, I'm channeling my inner oh. Jeff a little bit. But if, um, what Eric said about about Tampa blowing out the bad teams, like and and I've backed up with Bruce Arians over the years. He's been great against the bad teams, not as good against the good teams. He's someone who basically says, "I'm doing, we're, we're doing it this way, you know. Screw what the other team does. We're playing our game, and that's going to work against bad teams." But it's yeah. So this, you know, I, I make I think I'm I'm basically right on market here, a little over seven. So. All right, then, well, let's get on to our next one. We've got Baltimore Ravens at Tennessee Titans, and this one certainly attracting a, a lot of interest. It's it's pretty evened out on the three so far in favour of Baltimore. Um, also, the biggest total on the board, 54.5. Um, betters have nudged it up slightly, and I guess you could you could. it's easy to see why. Um, we talked about narrative. We've, we've got a good one here. Tennessee knocked out Baltimore last season, didn't they? Um, and I think the other thing is going to be that the Ravens haven't been the same team since then really I think we, we talked about it a little bit and then Eric I think I posed it to you about Lamar and have teams figured them out is it because he's nursing an injury is it is it the other pieces that aren't working out but they obviously had a unique style last year that could kind of blow teams away that we've we've probably only seen once I think it was the Bengals game that, that Lamar had a really big game there um, but it's it's probably the most interesting matchup of the round for for me anyway, Andy. I don't know about you, but but what do you make of the numbers here? Kind of opened where we thought it would open, I guess. If you want the the narrative of the weekend, like the the playoff the playoff revenge angle is, I suppose it's ripe for the picking on this one. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I'm not super interested in laying points on the road, but I mean, this is probably right where my numbers are at. Baltimore has played well, but against bad teams, it, it kind of goes back to the, what we just said about Arians. Like, is there something to be said for that? I mentioned this early in the season with Green Bay, I think it was. Green Bay had a couple of easier games 
uh, once we found out how bad Minnesota's defense was, said, you know, is Green – well, and there was a thing, you know, in the weeks three, four, five, I believe, somewhere in there, we said, is Green Bay good? Like, are they really good? Is Rodgers back? Is he having a season? Because they've played bad teams. And, you know, good teams beat good teams, but good teams also beat the tar out of bad teams. So I think maybe this was – I don't ever want to use momentum as a word because it's not a thing, but it's 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 good to get the kinks worked out of the offense and watch Lamar play like he's not injured. I think he was maybe carrying more of an injury earlier in the season than we thought, and this will be a good test for you know for the Tennessee offense against a decent defense. Is what I would have said before I watched the Browns game. Like there is there is precedent for this defense to be scored on. I'm not sure if. Uh, I'm not sure if Tannehill can do that, but I'm, I'm pretty much on market here. I want this to be – I might bet some small alt-overs and just hope we get a repeat of the Browns game. I don't want to be involved, but it's a noon game. I'd be sitting there watching it. Yeah, but was it knee? Was it ankle, Eric? I can't remember, but we talked about it earlier on. And Are we going to see the Lamar of old, I guess, is the, the simple question. Yeah, he had a, his knee drained, I think, during one of those days early in the season. I think it was right before the Washington football team game. Um, and he, you know, he was kind of a little banged up there. They also had, I mean, the Pittsburgh game they lost at home, but they out thoroughly outplayed Pittsburgh in that game. And, you know, the other the other Tennessee game that they had went into overtime. They had a big lead in that game. Um, you know, so I think something, you know, Baltimore season has been a little bit misleading. Um, that being said, you know, Tannehill has played really good football this year. I mean, he's, you know, top 10 in, in our grades. A EPA is like, you know, one fifth of a point every time he drops back. You know, I think he's leading the league in percentage of positively graded throws, which, um, you know, it, I think shows a little bit, you know, why they could prob- probably lose this game because they just don't throw enough. And that to me is their strength, even, even with the narrative surrounding Derrick Henry. Um, I think both of these teams can get in the same situation, which is if they go run, run, pass on their first drive, have to punt and give up a touchdown on defense. Like they're, they're neither of these teams are really that comfortable playing a pass first team, pass first game. Even though I think in that situation Tennessee's better, and we saw that in the first matchup where Tennessee came from behind when they had to throw. Um, I think Baltimore's in a little bit of trouble when they get from behind and have to be a pass first team. So that, I don't know. I, 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 I bet Tennessee at plus three and a half. And then, you know, now it's three. I, I, I kind of think three is probably the, the right place for it to be. Yeah. I, so I, I have it pretty close to market. I, I, I have it two and a half. So I lean Tennessee somehow, somehow my, my partner was able to grab a four and a half on Sunday. I think probably like, I have no idea where it was. It's on my marked on my sheet because um, I'm literally looking at line histories at all these books and I'm seeing like three and a half, um, like a f- one book open with a four. So it was, it may have been in Vegas while the you know, other games are still going on. I don't know, but I- I'll take it. But I, I, it, I wouldn't play anything at three here. All right, then. Well, I'll, I'll move us on to a game where you you might play something, Rufus. We got Chicago Bears at New Orleans Saints and. If there's a team that's going to give Washington a run for their money is the worst team left in it. It's going to be Chicago. Um, dropped away after a, a decent start, I guess, but they've beaten teams that are, I guess maybe you'd expect them to, but really struggled against the elite teams like a, a team like New Orleans. 
Breeze getting better, I guess, after a couple of weeks of injury. I think Kamara's back as well. It the odds suggest biggest ma- mismatch of the wild card round. It's it's ten and a half after opening at ten. Um, I said you like the Saints, Rufus, but double digits on the spread is it? Is it too much for you? Um, it is too much for me here. I, I'm not playing the Bears either. So my number, um, my numbers with the the Massey Peabody number is ten point two. Um, the Massey Peabody number without a prior is eight. And I, I think this year I've been, uh, you know, I think I've been a little bit, I, I think priors should get a little bit less weight in a season like this. And so I'm, I'm trying, I'm, I'm kind of going in incorporating a little bit of the, the no prior number um, averaging down towards that a little bit. So um, I make it like, so I, I'm, I'm basically putting it like nine and a half, 10. Um, so no opinion there. Chicago, I mean, New Orleans has, um, they've, you know, they've been, Pretty lucky in the turnover department this year. Chicago, out of all the teams remaining, uh, well, they're only one of they're one of three teams that has uh, negative turnover EPA in the year, and they are the worst of all the playoff teams um, with negative thirteen points lost due to turnovers. Whereas New Orleans is plus twenty three, and the extreme high Indy at uh, plus forty four. Um, so, so Chicago has been um, a little bit unfortunate there. Although most of that was has been interception related actually all of it has but uh, i think trubisky is a lot better than Foles, um and i kind of my numbers on him were, have been higher than Foles' numbers all season and so i'm you know if, if Foles was starting i probably would have that number uh, a lot higher um or not, not a lot higher but uh, but you know a point or two higher i i think the market is bas- basically spot on or or even a little bit high on new orleans here I agree. I mean, look, Nick Foles had 335 dropbacks this year. Uh, Mitch Trubisky had 333. Uh, Trubisky actually graded a little worse for us, but on a per play basis, he. You, but I think he actually is the quarterback who can at least make them competitive in this game. And here's why: Trubisky, for some reason, I don't know why, but they they averaged positive expected points with him on the field throwing the ball and Nick Foles is negative almost a fifth of a point. Um, Trubisky has 24% of his dropbacks are positively graded 17, 18% are negatively graded Foles was 17 and 13. So Foles was just playing a very, uh, very narrow, credible interval of of plays. And when you're that big of an underdog, I just don't think you can win that way. Um, at least with Trubisky, like, you know, again, this is sort of a Ricky Bobby situation. Like, if you lose, who cares, right? But, like, what you need to do in the playoffs is string a bunch of good things together. And Trubisky at least has shown the potential to do that. Um, so this one's weird. I, I got some New Orleans at minus nine and a half early. I think that that's probably where, where I'll stop. It, just because, you know, th- this could be a blowout, uh, you know, much like the last week's game was where Teddy Bridgewater couldn't get anything done. Philip Walker couldn't get anything done. And it's like 33 to seven. But we have seen New Orleans under Sean Payton with basically these same players struggle in the playoffs, um, especially at home. And so uh, I, I don't think it's a lock <laughs> under any circumstances that New Orleans is going to beat up on Chicago uh, because Chicago does have. Uh, some components. They have a good defense. They have the most valuable edge player in the league this year in Khalil Mack, um, and they have some you know really good corners. I know they were out last week. If they're playing this week, Chicago's not not a complete dumpster fire. No, I make it nine. I agree with a lot of that. Although you know there is some 
going back to like the Ravens thing, you saw the, the Bears like, oh, Trubisky's good. They're winning games. Like, ah, what's the Lions and the Vikings and yeah. a really depleted Texas team, Texans, and then obviously Jackson. the Jaguar, Jaguars was a bad game. And then you get here and they give up like 70 yards per play to Green Bay. And yeah, Green Bay's offense has really hit its stride and Rodgers is looking great right now. And Devontae Adams stud, but it's another tough offense they're going. I don't know if there's truly signal in you know New Orleans struggling in the playoffs. I guess you know you, you see more bad luck than anything. Like the Vikings game, they were they were losing badly and they had a nice comeback that was sabotaged by a crazy play, the ref play. I don't know what happened last year or the the game the second game against the Vikings. That was just they came out very flat, but I mean it's it's a team that is probably 10 points better. I won't be getting – I thought I was hoping this total would open a little higher. I guess I'm more down on the, the Bears' offense. Like They had the ball a lot versus Green Bay. They just weren't doing things with their drives. Their third down efficiency – they went for fourth down – they went on fourth down six times. Like it, it took a lot of – I mean, they were four for four to start on fourth down. It took a lot of – Getting these short fourth fourth downs, it took a lot of you know some some variance there for them even to get to 16 points against a good team at home. So I, I guess I just don't rate this offense that well against good teams. I think Trubisky is better than Foles, but I just don't think it's a good offense. And I don't think Buster Scrine's good. <laughs> I mean, getting getting he's better than his backup, but. Right, let's uh, let's wrap up with the Browns at the Steelers then. And I, th- I think we mentioned this, or, or Eric mentioned this earlier at the top of the show. It's been a bit of a weird one. We were at Pinnacle had it at minus three and a half on Pittsburgh. Obviously, then the news broke about the, the Browns head coach, two coaching staff members, I think two players as well. Uh, it went minus five and a half. It's on six now. Um, it's an instant rematch, obviously, from from what we've just had from the weekend. Pittsburgh rested quite a few players that are now going to be coming back. Big Ben obviously being one of them, but really poor end to the season from Pittsburgh. What were they, 11-0 and and then lost, can't remember how many on the trot, and then kind of got one win in there, but they're going to have to now kind of switch it back on. Big season for the Browns, making the playoffs. A few things kind of fell their way, I think, but it's going to be difficult for Baker against the defence of the the Steelers if they can sort of turn it on. But, But whether or not they can, I don't know. Did anyone get in early on this? Is anyone sort of waiting to get in with more news coming or how are we feeling about this one? I got in on at Pittsburgh at minus three and a half. It's the strongest play for me this week. I'm just I'm just very low on Cleveland as I have been all season. It's off the board at a lot of places, I believe, now with the, the big yeah. mess that we mentioned real early in the show. But yeah, yeah we still I missed it. I think. You're still up? Yeah, I think it's gone to six. Yeah. The strength oh. of Cleveland, I think, is really going to be is going. Yeah, so. their strength was offensive line. Joel Batonio is one of the COVID nineteen guys. Um, they've been a little banged up at tackle. Pittsburgh has three players on their defensive line that have sixty or more pressures, um, so that's a big deal. Devin Bush has been out long enough where I think they've acclimated his backup in. Um, one of the things that's been that's been noticeable about Pittsburgh over like starting with the second half of the indie game, but even continuing with Mason Rudolph last week, is they they've sort of eschewed the the shorter passes or some of the longer passes, which I think really helps them, honestly, because when you drop as many balls as they have, when you're as inaccurate as Roethlisberger is, you really can't score on low A dot stuff 
up and down the field because it causes you to have to be too perfect. They went down the field a lot against Indy in the second half. They went down the field last week, obviously, in a game where they they didn't they try. I mean, they had some success against Cleveland in the second half with Mason Rudolph. If they continue to deploy that strategy against what I would consider to be a very fragile Cleveland team, uh, both injury-wise and COVID-wise, I think that they'll have some success. I think six is probably too many, obviously, if you're going to lay with Pittsburgh. But um, it does present a decent teaser at this point now, right, where you're at six and you know you could tease it down to a pick uh, if, if you're confident that Pittsburgh will come out with a win. And did you get involved in this one? Yeah, it just sucks hitting it late. Like, like even though you're, it's probably a decent teaser late. And I mean, put it with Tampa, but yeah, it sucks missing the number. But COVID news this year has given in. COVID news has taken away. I've had some good numbers come through and some bad numbers come through, and it's just all part of the game, I guess. But it, it's it's always fun getting an early number and then watching the other team get a whole bunch of like I can't imagine having the early New Orleans number and then watching Denver lose all their quarterbacks. Had to just be giggling to yourself. So I'm I'm not you know I'm not interested in betting this at six and a half, but I at the early number I did lean Pittsburgh. I think I think we will see a better offense with Big Ben finally getting some rest. He's old, he's super old, and they haven't had a bye since week four. Yeah, like, they never really had an actual bye, which you know, I, yeah, I, they, I they actually played, they practiced up to the bye and then got a surprise bye. They didn't get a real buy. They got if they did get a you know a half buy. It was early in the season, and honestly, some one like that week that Ben stayed home and didn't practice all week because he like faked an injury. Like he looked good that week. Like that guy needs his rest. He's a ten hour of sleep kind of night, you know, kind of guy. <laughs> like ben Ben coming off some rest, I think will be this offense might look a little more towards what it looks like at the beginning of the season when they were moving the ball nicely. I think if uh, if anyone feels bad about missing the early number, you've got to feel for Betonio, who Eric mentioned. Was it seven seven years with the Browns, six losing seasons? Yeah. He makes the playoffs and the guy gets COVID. So feel yeah. for him. Um, I mean, we're, we're over the hour here. We've, we've somehow managed to run longer than we would with three times as many games. But uh, Andy, Rufus and Eric, thank you very much for coming on and, and talking us through the wild card. And, and thank you to everyone for listening. We will be back next week to, to cover the next round of games. All of the odds that we've discussed are available on Pinnacle.com. And as always, please gamble responsibly. <laughs>